Father, we thank you for the book of Judges, and even though it's a dark book and a complicated book in some ways, we give you thanks that you still speak through it. And Lord, we would ask tonight that as we come to look at this part of Judges, the the story of Gideon and the the 300, that Lord, you would speak to us and encourage us uh, and tell us something tonight that we need to hear. Holy Spirit, would you come and move in our hearts and minds tonight and and take the, the written word of God and apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know of any society in the world that praises weakness. Do you? I can't think of one. You see, every society in the world, they they praise strength. To be strength, to be strong is to be great. To be weak, well, it's not really desirable, is it? And and, and weakness, we, we don't want to admit it because we live in this sort of world. We don't want to admit that we're weak people. We don't want to, to make our weaknesses known to anybody. Of course, within ourselves, we know we're weak, but because strength is so prized, we hide our weakness. We hide it. And as Christians, we also think we need to be strong, don't we? As Christians, we think we at least need to appear strong, don't we? I mean, I don't know anyone who thinks to themselves, do you know what? What I got to do as a Christian is I got to just let everybody know how weak I am. No, it's the other way around, isn't it? We want to put on the mask. We want to make it known that we're strong, even though we're weak. We want people to think we're strong mentally, so we don't talk about our mental struggles. We want people to think that we're strong in our relationships, and so we put on a good show with our wives or with our family in public. We want people to think that we're strong in our faith, so we don't ever voice our concerns or our doubts. We never let it known that we have big questions that trouble us. We want to make it known that we're, we're strong in our knowledge, so we don't admit that we have anything new to learn. We, we sort of pretend that we know everything that's in the Bible, even though we don't. We like to pretend we're strong in our sanctification. We, we like to hide our sin. We don't want anyone to know about it. We don't want to admit it. We want to pretend that we're holy and righteous and good and strong in our sanctification. And we want people to think we're strong in our devotion, don't we? We want them to think that we read our Bible every single day and pray fervently for the work of the church, which, which maybe we do, but maybe we don't and put on a good show and pretend we do. It's interesting, isn't it? This is a world where you're told to be strong, to look strong, and and if you're not strong, to fake it until you make it. And in the church, we've also embraced that, haven't we? We want to appear strong. We want to look like good Christians. Sadly, though, our obsession with being strong, our obsession with strength blinds us to a key biblical truth. And what's that key biblical truth? It's that God uses weak people. God uses weak people. And that's what Judges chapter 6 is really here to remind us of this evening. Judges chapter 6 is written to remind us that God uses weak people, people like Gideon. Chapter 6 starts with familiar words, words that we've heard over and over again in the book of Judges so far. Verse 1, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So again, they've, they were rescued, remember, by Deborah and Barak in jail last week, and they'd, they'd 40 years of following God, and then Deborah dies, and as soon as she dies, what do they do? They, they turn away from God again and back to the idols. 
They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then that's followed up with familiar action. Familiar action by God and familiar action by God's people. So the familiar action by God is that he disciplines the people. Have a look at verse 1 again. And the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. Seven years they're oppressed by the Midianites. Now, if you remember last week, it was Sisera who depressed the people and he was cruel to them. Well, Midian, it's a different type of oppression. It's economic oppression. The Midianites, what they're doing is they're coming into the land and they're eating all of the crops and they're slaughtering all of the animals and they're feasting on them. And you see that in verse 3. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East would come up against them. And they took their crops and they, they took their, their animals. It's an economic oppression. And so what do God's people do? Well, they do two things. The first thing they do is they go into hiding. They go up into the mountains. They hide in caves. They, they get off the main highways and byways and they go up into hiding in the hope of being able to maybe grow some crops and survive. They're terrified. They've no hope and they hide. But then they do what they've done every other time. Verse 6, what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. Verse 6, and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. And then God does what he does every time. He shows them great mercy, great favor, great grace. And what does he do? He raises up a rescuer. He raises up a judge, someone who's going to rescue Israel from the hand of the Midianites. But what's really interesting is that the person he chooses to rescue Israel is Gideon, and Gideon is a weak man. You'll see how God raises him up. If you have a look at verse 11, you'll see that he sends the angel of the Lord to Gideon, and he calls them into action. So look at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree at Orpha, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite. I can't say that one bit. I'm sorry. While his son Gideon was out beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, before we get on to what the angel of the Lord said, I think it's important that we understand who the angel of the Lord is. You see, it's really interesting. If you read through the Bible, you'll see this figure, the angel of the Lord, appearing a number of times. If you remember a while ago, I think it was the book of Numbers, he appeared to Balaam. Do you remember on the donkey? And, and, and Balaam couldn't see him. And here he appears to, to Gideon, and Gideon doesn't recognize he's an angel. He just looks like a man. He's just flesh and blood. He, he looks like a human. Gideon isn't kind of shocked or surprised, and, and he speaks to the angel in a pretty blasé way. But this angel, he appears just in a human form. But who is the angel of the Lord? Well, he's a messenger sent directly from God. That's the first thing he is. He's a messenger sent directly from God. So, so this angel, he's been sent to Gideon by God. But it also seems that the angel of the Lord is also God himself. What? Well, yeah, it seems that way. Because later on, if you read, we're told the Lord said to him, and it's talking about the angel of the Lord. And then Gideon responds by worshiping this angel. And you can't worship an angel. You can only worship God. And it seems that the angel of the Lord is also God himself. So the question is, how can that be? How can there be a God in heaven and God on earth appearing as the angel of the Lord? That's strange, isn't it? 
I think this is the, the first or one of the first hints we get at the Trinity. Most biblical scholars would suggest that the angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, the Christ, the one who would become the Lord Jesus. That's what it seems to be. So it really has nothing to do with what we're at tonight, but just to give you a little bit of information so that whenever you read the angel of the Lord, you have an idea of who that is. But anyway, the angel of the Lord, he, he arrives to Gideon, and what he actually calls Gideon is quite funny. Because look what he says. He says, verse 12, Gideon, the, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. O Gideon, the Lord's with you, O mighty man of valor. But folks, Gideon is anything but a mighty man of valor. And what gives you a hint of that is what he's doing when the angel comes. Like I said this morning, we're not farmers. But what Gideon is doing is he's, he's threshing out the wheat. He's, he's removing the wheat from the chaff. And the way you normally did that was you, you did it out in the open. You did it where the wind would come through. You, you did it out in the open fields and, and you'd do this and, and, and you'd gather the wheat from the chaff. You'd, you'd get a big fork and you'd hoist it up in the air and the chaff would be blown away and the wheat would fall down. And this was done in the open where there was wind. But where is Gideon doing it? Well, he's doing it in a wine press. He's doing it inside. He's doing it hidden away. See, Gideon is just as scared as everybody else. He's just as scared. He's, he's hiding from the Midianites. He doesn't want them to come and get his wheat, so he's, he's doing this secretly and, and privately and in secret and hiding. He's not a mighty man of valor. He's just like the rest of God's people at this stage. He's frightened. He's afraid. And he's weak. What God calls him, you mighty man of valor, it's a bit like what a mother might say to her wee son. Oh, you big brave soldier. You big brave soldier. You know, the, the son isn't a big brave soldier, but, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because the son might one day be. And this is what the angel of the Lord is doing. He's saying to Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And, and Gideon isn't. But it's giving us a hint of what God is going to make him into. It gives us a hint of how God is going to change him and use him. He's going to use him as a mighty man of valor in his plan to save Israel. But what's really interesting about Gideon is that it's like he doesn't really hear the, the mighty man of valor bit. He actually hears the first bit. The, the Lord is with you. He hears that. And whenever Gideon hears that, whenever Gideon hears the Lord is with you, he's having none of it. He's having none of it. He doesn't believe this. The Lord is with us. Are you serious? If the Lord's with us, why is all this happening to us? The Lord's forsaken us. That's how Gideon responds. Look at verse 13. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted us, saying to us, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. God's forsaken us, mister. God's left us. Oh yeah, the, the God who, who saved our fathers, well, he's not with us anymore. The Lord's with us? Yeah, whatever. Whatever you think. 
And what's really interesting here is that Gideon, a real weakness he has is he, he doesn't actually know enough about God. It's really interesting, isn't it? He, he doesn't actually know enough about God because what did we read earlier on in the psalm? His love endures forever. And what else did God say to his people? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And what else has God done? Well, if you remember from earlier on in the passage, he actually sent the prophet to tell them that it's not that he's left them, but it's that they've left him. Earlier on, God sent the prophet, and the prophet told them why this stuff was happening to them. Verse 10, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. You see, it's not that God has left them. It's that they've left God, and he is disciplining them to bring them back to himself. But you see this weakness Gideon has? He doesn't really know much about God. He doesn't have a full understanding of what God is like. It's like he's deficient in knowing the character of God. And even though that God has told him things very clearly through the prophet, it's like he's not been able to take them on board. And I hope tonight that encourages you. Because Gideon is someone who God's going to use. And my guess is that you might be here tonight and you might be sitting here thinking, do you know what? I'd love to serve the Lord in some way. I'd love to, to, to serve him. But I don't know enough yet. I'd love to be involved in, in maybe telling people about him, but I don't know enough to tell anybody anything. Folks, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to know everything about God you're always going to feel that lack of knowledge. Always. If we had to know everything about God, or we had to know everything about the Bible, or we had to know all of the answers to all of the questions that everyone could ever ask, do you know who would be involved in the work of God? No one. And certainly not me. You see, even if our knowledge is weak, even if we don't have all the answers, even if we, we don't have all the the, the, the questions answered that we'd like to have answered, even if we don't really know his character as well as we think we should, even if that is our weakness tonight, God can use us in his plans. And maybe tonight, if, if that's something for you, maybe I want you just to remember that one thing, that even if you don't understand everything about God, he can still use you with that weakness. But anyway, what does God call Gideon to do? Well, we see that then in verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. Isn't that funny as well? Go in this might you have, Gideon. Midian, you, you mighty man, you go up in your might and save Israel from the Midianites. There's just something ironic about it. And what's ironic about it is that Gideon is really weak and he knows he's weak. See, that's the thing I, I also like about Gideon. He, he doesn't kind of fake it. He doesn't, yes, I'm so strong. I'll, I'll go up and I'll do it. No, what he does is he turns to God. He says, listen, you're calling me a mighty man. I'm weak. I'm not mighty. I'm not the type of guy who, who men are going to follow into battle. Not the type of guy who knows how to wield the sword. I, I, I'm socially and physically weak, and, and no one's going to come with me into battle. 
see that, don't you? Look at verse 15. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in business. We, we've no social status. No one's going to follow us in the battle. And I am the least in my father's house. I'm the little one. I'm, I'm, I'm the weakest in the household. You know, my, my big brother, he's got muscles. I don't have any yet. He's weak. They're socially weak. And he knows this. And yet it's amazing, isn't it? Because despite of his weakness, this is the person who God has chosen to use. This is the person who God has chosen to use. Folks, God uses weak people. He uses unlikely people. He he uses people who you just could never imagine being used by God in mighty ways. He uses weak people. And tonight as you sit here, maybe whenever I prayed that prayer at the start, you could identify your weaknesses. And maybe you sit here tonight and, and those weaknesses, whatever they are, whatever you think of, whatever comes to mind, maybe you sit here tonight and because of those weaknesses, you feel paralyzed that you would never be able to do anything for the Lord or serve the Lord or be used by the Lord. Well, that's nonsense. That is a lie of the enemy who wants to stop you being used by God. Because God uses weak people. People like Gideon. And what's lovely is we get to see how God uses weak people in this passage. And it's, it's great to see. The first thing we see that, that God uses weak people, how does he do it? He empowers them with his presence. He empowers them with his presence. Have a look at verse 16. So Gideon says, listen, how can I save Israel? I'm weak. My family's weak. No one's going to follow me into battle. You've got the wrong guy here. I can't do this. And what does God say? Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, but I will be with you. And you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I'm going to be with you, Gideon. That's how I'm going to use you. I'm going to be with you. And and as you strike the Midianites, well, actually, I'll be striking them with you. You know, Gideon, what you'll do is you'll get your little weak hand out. And and, and you'll deal your, your, your best blow, which won't be much. But listen, I'm going to come through like an earthquake and wipe them out. I'm going to be with you, and as you act, I am going to act. As you do what I call you to do, I am going to empower it. I'm going to give it force. I'm going to give it might. I'm going to back up your action with my power. And it's interesting because later on, verse 34, we, we read that again. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. The Spirit of the Lord empowered him for the work that he'd been called to do. And this isn't just an Old Testament thing. This is the New Testament as well, isn't it? Do you remember those 12 weak, feeble men? 11 of them ran away when Jesus was arrested. The 12th one was drawn out of a straw and they stood there trembling in that upper room fearful of of what might happen to them. They'd lock themselves in. And what did the Lord Jesus say to him? You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the New Testament, read this too. God uses weak people by empowering them with his Spirit. Folks, that should encourage us. That should encourage us. 
when we step out and we, we do the things that the Lord calls us to do, it's not our skill or our ability or our strength that's going to make the difference. It's God who's going to. It's God who's going to. So he, he empowers people with his presence. And then what else does he do? Well, he's really patient with people with their doubts and fears. You see, what God does with Gideon is he doesn't go, okay, Gideon, now I'm going to use you. What you need to do is you need to just, you see all those questions and all those doubts you have and all those fears you have? What I need you to do to use you is I need you to park those. I need you to get rid of those. No, he doesn't do that. God takes Gideon with his doubts and his fears and his questions. And whenever they arise, God is just patient with them. And we see that in the incident of the police, don't we? You know, it's just a bit mad, isn't it? I mean, an angel of the Lord has appeared to him. The angel of the Lord has shown that it was him by, by burning up the offering that he made. The angel of the Lord, the, the Lord himself has clothed him with the Holy Spirit. He's been empowered. All of this stuff has happened to him. And then one day Gideon's like, do you know what, Lord? I'm just not quite sure you've got the right man. Lord, you know, he has the doubts about himself. He has the doubts about the Lord. Are you sure I'm the man, Lord? Are you sure you're really calling me to this? Are you sure I meant to do this? Listen, Lord, would you do me a favor? Listen, if I put out a fleece in the morning, if I, if I put out a sheep's fleece, a lamb's fleece, would you make it wet and, and the ground dry and the Lord is very patient with him and he does it? And he's still not over his doubt and he's still not over his fear and he asks him to swap it around and do the other thing and the Lord is patient with him. And again, I just hope this is an encouragement to you, despite your doubts, despite your fears, despite your feelings of inadequacy. The Lord can use you. And he'll be patient with you. He doesn't expect you to get rid of all those before he uses you, but he's patient with you in the midst of wanting to use you. And then the next thing the Lord does is he, he gives... Gideon a task he can actually do. You see, the way that, <laughs> that these guys actually defeat the Midianites is, is just, well, it's kind of ridiculous. Because what do they do? Well, they go up with a trumpet in one hand and, and a clay jar on the other hand and a, and a candle in the clay jar or a torch in the clay jar and they go up and they, they blow the trumpet and they smash the jar and they shout out for Gideon and for the Lord and that's it. That's all they do. It's kind of weird, isn't it? It's also very easy. He gives them a task they can do. You see, if the Lord had said to Gideon, Gideon, what I need you to do is I need you to take your big sword up there and I need you to go into a sword battle with these guys, Gideon couldn't have done it. He doesn't have those gifts. He doesn't have those skills. He doesn't have those abilities. But he could blow a trumpet actually harder than you think though I guess but I guess it was one of those other type of trumpets <laughs> but he could blow a trumpet and he could smash a jar and folks this is the thing I love about God is that whenever he calls weak people to serve him he's not calling them to do stuff they're not capable of he's not calling them to do kind of wild and crazy uh, you know incredible things that they just have no hope of doing no he calls them to do ordinary things and then he powers those ordinary things to have spectacular results. Just think of sharing the gospel. 
okay, that, that, that might be a bit scary, but it's actually not beyond us, is it? It's very easy. It's just talking. It's just talking to someone. It's having a conversation. All of us are capable of that. It's not really hard. And yet, what does God do as we speak the gospel? It's like he takes our feeble, weak words, mumbled and jumbled though they might be, and what does he do? He empowers them by his Spirit, and he brings people to a place of putting their faith in Christ. What else does he call us to do? He calls us to love one another. He calls us to to be with one another in hard times. And and we can do that, can't we? And it's interesting, isn't it? Because we go and we just are with someone in a difficult time, and it means the world to them. The Lord empowers that and makes that something special and forceful and magnificent in the life of that other person. God has gifted us all in different ways, and, and what he wants to do with our weaknesses, he wants to take those gifts we have, those normal, everyday skills we have, And he wants us to use them. And he wants to empower them for his work. He doesn't call us to do crazy, mad things that we're incapable of. He calls us to do the things we're capable of, but then empowers them to have a far bigger effect than they should have. And that's what we see, isn't it? They smash the the jars, the, the torches light up, they blow the trumpets, they give a shout, and all mayhem breaks out, and the Midianites themselves destroy each other suddenly the enemy is no more. It's amazing. As I finish, there's just one more thing I want to highlight. Uh, And this thing is really very particular for us as a congregation. Uh, And it's something that I noticed in Judges chapter 7. And it's to do with this whittling down. It's amazing, isn't it? There's 120,000 Midianites and Gideon, he, he asks the troops to gather around him to go and fight them. And 32,000 men show up. That's, that's pretty good for someone who's weak and couldn't muster an army. That's pretty good, isn't it? The Lord's empowered that. 32,000 men show up. And what does God say? God says to him, listen, you have too many people. You see, if you do that with 32,000 men, you see, if you go and fight those with 32,000 men, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to think that you won this. You're going to get proud. You're going to get puffed up. You're going to become boastful. So Gideon, what I want you to do, first of all, is I want you to tell anyone who's scared that they can go home. And so he does. Okay, lads, here's what the Lord says. If if your knees are knocking here, if you're a bit scared, you you can go back home. And I don't know how many people Gideon expected to leave, but I imagine it was a lot less than 22,000. Suddenly his army is cut down by, by... over two-thirds. 10,000 left against 120,000. Then what does God say? He says, nope. No, no, still too many. So what if, if you go and fight them with 10,000 and you win again, you're, you're going to think that it was you who did this. You, you'll boast in yourselves. You, you'll, you'll think you're great. So Gideon, what I want you to do is I want you to take the men down for a drink and and they're going to drink in two different ways. And, and those I say to stay, they've got to stay. And those I say to go, they've got to go. And so they go down to the river and start drinking. And some of them start drinking like dogs, which they're each to their own, you know. And, and some lap the water up in their hands. And God says, okay. Those guys that way, send them home. And how many leave? 9,700. 
the Lord whittles them down to 300 men. There's no chance, is there? <laughs> There's just no chance. There's no human way that, that these 300 people are going to defeat the 120,000. There's just no way it can be done. And see, what's really interesting here in Judges chapter 7 is that whenever God wants to use a group of people, He starts by whittling them down. He makes them weaker and weaker and weaker until eventually they come to the point where they recognize that if there's going to be any victory, it's not going to be because of them or anything they've done. It's only because the Lord will have done it. Folks, the reason I say that is because this week I've been reading the, the brilliant book that Ivan wrote about Ravenhill Presbyterian Church. I've been reading our history. And we were big. Really big. Really mighty. We did great things. And now we're not. Now we're small. Now we're weak. Some of us are older and frail. On paper, we look very, very weak, don't we? Maybe that's because the Lord wants to use us. Maybe that's because the Lord wants to use us in our weakness to rely on Him and reach out to the people around us. Maybe that's because the Lord wants to use us in such a way that, that we can never turn around in the future and go, do you know what? We did a great job there. Maybe, just maybe, he's whittled us away down to what we are so that we will look back in five or 10 or 15 years and say, just look what God did. Just look what he did with the 50, with the 90, with the 100, how many we've got. Look what he did when we were so weak. Look at what he's achieved. You see, the reason why God uses weak people and, and the reason why God uses weak churches is so that he gets all the glory. It's so that he gets it all. I won't get the glory. You won't get the glory, but God will get the glory if he decides to use us. Um, you won't know it, can you see me? Okay, you, you won't know what to look at me, but I actually do a little bit of weightlifting <laughs> in my garage. Um, oh, I can't believe, of course, Marty, we know what, no, no one knows that. All right, I do a bit of weightlifting in my garage. And what's really interesting is that I want you to imagine that there's me, okay, and then there's one of my friends. Well, he's not actually my friend, but a guy I know. He's called Daniel Ricketts. He owns a gym, and he enters bodybuilding competitions and if you look at him, he is every single muscle. It's, it's, it's a bit freaky looking, to be honest, but he's really strong, okay? Now, now Daniel, okay, let's say that, that he can bench, I don't know, 100 kilograms. You know, and there he is benching 100 kilograms. And I say to him, look, Daniel, could you bench 300 kilograms? Well, he might look at me and say, well, yeah, I think so. 
I don't know, but I'll, I'll give it a go. And so what Daniel does is he gets onto the bench, and there's 300 kilograms, and he pushes up, and he does this fantastic bench press and puts it down, and he stands up, and he goes, yes, I did it. Look how strong I am. Look what I've achieved. Look how brilliant I am. And then he turns to me, and he says, well, Marty, listen, can, can you, what, what, what can you do? <laughs> I said, well, well Daniel, I, Maybe I could bench 50, but that, that's the most. I could bench 50, and that's true. So uh, that's the most, the very most. And so he said, well, 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 show me there, Marty. And so what I do is I, I get under it, and I, and I squeeze up, and I, and I bench 50, and I put it down, and I go, oh, yeah, that was good. And then he says to me, okay, Marty, can, can you bench 300? <laughs> I say, no, Daniel, I can't bench 300. And he says, well, Marty, give it a go there. Daniel, I can't bench 300. It's impossible for me to bench 300. And he says, Marty, I want you to give it a go there. And so I get under it in all of my weakness. And I push up. And as I push up the 300, it lifts. And I push it up. And the reason it lifts is because Daniel is pulling it up as I push. The reason it lifts is because he is there and and he takes my feeble effort and, and he lifts it up. And I accomplish what is impossible, but I don't really accomplish it. He's accomplished it for me. When people say to me, Marty, you, you bent 300. And I said, well, yes, I did, but, but not really. I can't take any of the credit. I can't take any of the glory for it. It's what Daniel did. It's what he did. Folks, this is why God uses weak people. This is why he uses us to do things that we cannot do. This is why he uses weak churches like ours to accomplish great things. So that not one bit of us can go, look at what I did. But all we can do is say, look at what he did. Look at what God did. Isn't he great? We've been encouraged, haven't we? We've been encouraged recently. But let us not think that that our encouragement is because of what we're doing. Let's recognize that it's because of what the Lord is doing. And let's thank him for what he's doing. And let's ask him to continue to use us, this little weak church, to do great things for him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that as individuals you can use us in spite of our weakness. Thank you that you can take us with all of our faults and failures and all of our doubts and and all of those things and use us. But Lord, thank you tonight that as a congregation you've reminded us that sometimes you, you weaken big crowds in order to use them so that you will get all of the praise and all of the glory that you deserve. Lord, maybe you don't want to use us. Maybe you don't want to use us to to do great things. Maybe you don't have a plan for us, but Lord, we, we sense you do. We've seen you do things recently that we're just blown away by. And Lord, we are thankful that we know it's nothing to do with us, but only to do with what you're doing. Lord, if it's your will, would you use us in our weakness to reach this community? 
Lord, if it's your will, would you take our, our weakness and our faults and our failures and use even us in spite of those so that your name would be glorified, so that we could look back and say, look at what God did. Isn't he mighty? Isn't he strong? Isn't he awesome? Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name.